Well, it's lovely to have you guys joining us this morning to have a look into, into where we're going, really looking into this perseverance. And it's a nice intro talking about the athlete side of things, but going to go a bit deeper into it now. Um, But to start with the Witness series, we've been interviewing people throughout, as you guys know, and having videos and setups of different people that we've spoken to about the issues and um, just what we're focusing on. And I think this week was thinking about who could apply to this. There was a couple of names came to mind, but in the end, we went with uh, interviewing Kevin Roos. Um, And I don't know if you guys aren't fully aware. Kevin's recently um, taken a role up at the church, which has been fantastic, and him and Kay have been on an amazing journey over the last few years together. And it's just a real opportunity to hear a bit more about how persevering in faith and trusting God um, throughout a journey has, has led them to really where they are. So just going to play the video just now, but really enjoy this. It's a, a chance to hear that story. So interview with Kevin Roos. So um, this morning for our interview for Witness, we've got Kevin Roos with us. Dead excited that he is here. He's been on a, a total journey with the church recently, and just God's been working his life in a lot of ways. So we just wanted to have a bit of a chat about that. So start off, but Kev, you've recently started a role at the church. Um, what is it that you're doing? I was privileged to be asked to do be a children's um, youth, youth and support worker, and um, it was looking at the, you know, the, the admin kind of side of the, the Sunday club and, and youth and uh, getting involved in, you know, helping facilitate that side of things. Brilliant. So helping facilitate all the Sunday club stuff and making sure that, that that's really developing. It's really exciting times, but how, how did you come into that role? Like, what happened for you to end up in that position? I think the church, you know, Mark and Helen and Agnes identified that, you know, looking after that side was taking up a lot of time and they were looking for somebody to take that on board and just you know help things you know run smoother and allow them more time to focus on you know growing Sunday club and you know focus on the the actual lessons and that side of thing yeah and did you feel that's something that you would have a desire to be involved in if you felt got it work in that process Oh, without a doubt. It, I mean, there was, you know, I prayed over it for a couple of days and I got a total peace. And it's always been, you know, a side of me that's, I've enjoyed, you know, doing that, that kind of thing, you know, making things happen and helping out and, you know, a lot of the time behind the scenes. Um, but in the role, you know, I've had to be on the forefront as well, which is taking a bit and getting used to. I think for me as well, what has been frustrating or a bit challenging was I started and then we went into lockdown. And, you know, you have all these ideas and plans that you, you want to do and, you know, things to develop. But unfortunately, it's with the, you know, the dynamic, it just wasn't possible. Or, you know, it's been harder to do. But I think, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and things are easing up. So hopefully, you know, I'm up for the challenge yeah. You know, getting the teeth into it. Fantastic. It's wonderful to hear as well just that you would really know God at work in that situation by a sense of peace when you're praying about it. Is that something that when God speaks to you, you would say it tends to come across like that? Or, or what's that experience been for you? I think for me, in all the decisions that I've made, if I don't have that peace, then I know it's not right. And it's that you know sense of peace and calm. And yeah, that inner peace is 
you're convincing that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is saying, listen, this is right. Or likewise, if there's a situation and I'm, you know, things aren't feeling, there isn't that peace, then I know we're not meant to be here or we're not doing the right thing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kev. And um, I know that this isn't the, the only big journey in terms of taking on a new role that you and Kate have been on in, in recent history. Um, we've had some very exciting developments in the last few while. Would you like to tell us a bit more of that story? Yeah, recently, you know, Kay and I embarked on the, went through the adoption process and we've recently adopted our daughter. And, uh, yeah, I think for, for both of us, it's probably been the, the most difficult thing we've ever done. Yeah, you know, yeah has been a challenge absolutely and were you able once again with what you're talking about to sense god in that journey the calling to start the process identifying the person who's now your daughter and all the rest of it have you been able to sense god's hand throughout that and seeing god at work yeah without a doubt you know you know from the outset and even from a number of years ago there was there was a desire or a peace you know around that um I mean, I must be honest, there, there is, you know, over the journey, it has been a challenge, and there's been some very, very tough times. Um, but there all, you know, there always has been that, that peace, you know, for us to, to reflect back on. And I think, you know, with the support of, you know, Kay and the team, the team effort, it's, it's making it doable. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's been tough, and... You know, there were things on the journey itself that you could see God's, you know, God's hand was at work. You know, an example of this was, you know, the, the foster carers I was with were, um, you know, Christians as well. And they were praying that um, our daughter would come to, uh, you know, a Christian home. And, you know, for that, for me, that was just, yeah, you could just see that. God was at work there. That's so cool. And I know when we were chatting earlier, you've mentioned God's timing and really getting a sense of God's timing throughout your life and knowing that he was with you at certain points. Is that something that you would say you've really experienced through this process? Yeah, I think one thing I have learned through the whole process is, you know, looking at the fruits of the Spirit is patience. <laughs> yeah. And not only patience with the process, but patience within myself you know, with the journey um, with our daughter. Because, yeah, it takes a lot of patience at times and and thankfully the Lord's been able to, to help with that. Fantastic. And if there was one thing that through through the whole of this experience, I guess over the last few years of going through the, the adoption process and all the wonderful things you guys have been involved in and challenging and, and stepping into this role currently in the church, is there one takeaway that you've really had in terms of, of God at work in your life that, that you would want to pass on to other people or just encourage people with? Yeah, I think for me, it was that, you know, praying and having that inner peace. You know, just, and again, it's, it's something I've always done is just taking a bit of time to reflect. It's not, you know, it's not, doing something on the spur of the moment it's taking a bit of time and you know praying on it and getting that peace or likewise not you know in certain instances getting that peace and then knowing you know that's not right or that is right and I think for me you know once you experience that inner peace you know that 
that guidance of the Holy Spirit is the way to live your life. And, it, well, for me, it just makes things, you know, it makes life easy to live or easier to live, I suppose. Yeah, but that, that ability to just discern and get to know the will of God in situations through that inner sense of the Holy Spirit at work, working out patience and all the fantastic things that have happened as a result of that journey. You mm. know, that, that you guys as a family now, you and Kay and your daughter are just wonderful. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to see how God works in the church with you being here too. And, yeah, Kev, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, that's, yeah, thank you very much for the time. And, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing. It's been a pleasure. You. That's great. Thanks, Thank Ross. Superb. Well, that's lovely. I, I just want to say as well, a massive thank you to Kev, you know, for being willing to share and to Kay. They've been through a very personal story, and I think just the availability to share that and be open and honest about it, thanks to the family, and just so excited that you were able to do that, and just for folk to hear what God's been up to. But, you know, so there's one thing that, in a sense, defines their story, over the last few years, I think perseverance has just about been it. You know, they've been through some times where it didn't seem like things were going to happen and when things were really difficult, but in persevering and choosing to continue to go in the direction that they believe that God was calling them to and where they had that sense of peace about, they've got to the place that they're at now. I wonder how many of us could relate to that, that actually it's as we follow God and as we continue to stay on the course as Mark was saying last week, stand in your calling. As we continue to do that, we start to see God at work. But it takes the perseverance together. And Kev, thank you so much for being willing to share. And one of the things for me, though, is throughout lockdown, I've had a verse that's been just sticking with me. I don't know if any of you guys have been in the same boat at home or here, but having a Bible verse that just hasn't left yet alone. And for me, at the start of lockdown, I was involved in a youth forum meeting with um, my old youth pastor, Andy Bennett, and he was like, oh, I got told this verse the other day by my brother, and I just want to pass it on. And it's not left me alone since. I just love it. And it's from one of these places in the Bible where you wouldn't necessarily see it coming. But um, we'll put it up on the screen now. It's just a lovely, lovely verse. It's from the book of Hosea. Um, it's Hosea chapter 2 and verse 15. And it says this. It's uh, God talking to Israel. And he says, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And God's talking to Israel about the journey that Israel's been on. And if you know the story of Hosea, it's all great. If you don't, don't worry. We're going to go over it. Um, but I think it's one of these things that Israel's been through a really tough time when Hosea's around. The book of Hosea is about 25 years of writing and poetry and preaching from Hosea, who was a prophet of God at the time, that God used to speak to the people, who was primarily ignored um, and actually who predicted a lot of the suffering that then befell Israel. Um, his life was incredibly tough. And the book of Hosea was probably written in all likelihood by somebody who was close to Hosea, who gathered all his works together and then wrote, because there's almost a narration that goes alongside it. But the fascinating thing with Hosea is that he finds himself in a situation where he's married with three kids um, to a woman called Gomer and then finds out that she's been unfaithful. Um, and she's been adulterous numerous times and she's incurred a lot of debts by her behavior. And he's just broken, like you would expect any party to be in that circumstance. Absolutely broken, going to God, gutted, angry, everything that you would expect. And God's response is a really interesting one. I think it's not necessarily what we think. God's response wasn't to just put his arm around Hosea and be like, I know, man, it sucks. His response was actually, Hosea, this is like a prophetic image of my relationship to Israel, of my relationship to my people, 
And he talks back to when the Ten Commandments are come up with and the, the new covenant is formed between God and His people, that if you obey these laws, then you keep up your end and I will look after you and I will love you. This is the relationship. This is the deal, essentially, that we have, the covenant that we have. And God said, and we made that deal and my people haven't kept it up. They've been adulterous. They've gone after other gods. They've put other things in my place. They've gone to other nations for their security. I told them, don't get a king. They wanted a king anyway. And actually, they've tried to get their security in other nations and other people and kings. They worship other gods. And actually, we set up this covenant, and they have completely not held theirs up. They've been adulterous. And God goes, but my compassion and my mercy and my love for my people and my grace for my people is so great, I can't just turn my back. I have to take them back, but they're going to do it again. And God says to Hosea, actually, go and get Gomer. Sort things out. Pay off her debts to all these other people. Bring her back home and be a family again. That job's on you. And it's this prophetic image that actually, that's like God's relationship to his people, that Hosea thinks that Gomer's probably going to do it again. That actually we might just end up in this situation in a wee while, but God's saying, but my love for my people and your love for your partner needs to be far too much to just let that go. And I want you to understand what this is like. And he's left in that situation, and that's the start. Just a crazy, crazy circumstance. And when you think of what God had brought the people through, of Israel by this time, through the wilderness into the promised land, and they're still in this situation and under these circumstances. But the wonderful thing is that God's love is so much greater. And in Hosea chapter 3, there's just this picture of future restoration where it's prophesied that actually I will bring a king, a messianic king through the line of David. And he's going to restore it all. He's going to fix everything that's broken. And it's this heart forward to Jesus that's coming and saying, do you know what? Even with this situation looking as hopeless and as painful and everything else that it is, there is future hope. It's going to get fixed. It's going to be better. And I'm not willing to bail on my people in the hard times. And I'm not willing to bail on my people when they make bad decisions. I'm not turning my back when they hurt me on purpose. What a God we serve, right? What God we serve, but there's this hope for future restoration. And the thing that's really interesting is that God's saying, actually, this messianic king and my work for restoration is more powerful than any sin that they could ever come up with or repeat or go through. And we end up in this situation where, and it's just going to come up on your screen now, but with this hope for future restoration, the people, God says that my people don't know me. And the word that's used in Hebrew is yada, it's pronounced. I know it looks like yada, right? It's a great word. But yada, and yada is one of these words. It means to know, but it doesn't just mean know as the way that we would often understand it. You could sit here today and I could say, do you know what? I know lots of people and I do know lots of people. But I could also say I really know only a few. And what it's getting at is there's knowledge of somebody that's an intellectual knowledge. We know about them. We can know lots about who they are. We can know things about them, where they live even, what their family's like. We could tell you things about them. But there's a difference between that and really knowing a person. I'm sure you'll agree. That actually, for me, I could say I know lots of people in this church, but I don't know them in the same way that I know Fee, my wife. I know her differently. I know what Fee's hopes are, what her fears are, what her dreams and ambitions are. I know her on a level that very few other people ever will. And actually, the word yada means that to know God on an intellectual level, but also to know him on a relational level. That God's saying, my people don't know me. Not that they couldn't say Yahweh, it's the God of Israel. They could have said that. 
Not that they couldn't have given you his history and told them all that they delivered them from. They could have done that too. But they're saying, they don't know me. They don't know my character. They don't know what I'm like. They don't know my influence in their life. They don't know my love. They've heard about it, but they don't know it. And actually, there's a difference. I could sit here just now and tell you that Fee's one of the most loving people I know. It's completely true. But actually, if you haven't experienced what it's like to have Fee love you, how would you know? It stays head knowledge. God's saying, my people don't know me. They don't yada me. They don't know of me and know me intimately, personally. They don't know me in a way that allows me to affect their life, that allows my love to change who they are. They don't know and love me in the same way I know and love them. And actually, that's available. And that's the passage of future hope. And you can hear God in it, that he's just like in the passage, if you read it, it's just like they don't know me, and I just want them to know me. So often we can think of God as this distant, you know, distant figure who's not that involved in our daily lives, who doesn't have a massive interest. And I think to do that is very comfortable because it means that we don't necessarily need to deal with the impact that knowing God intimately might have in our life and in our decisions. But actually, the God of the Bible is not okay with that and never has been. He wants so much more for our life. He wants us to know him in the same way that he knows us. And it is that form of Yadah. See, Hosea starts to talk about the people of Israel, and he says, look, the lives that you're leading. God set forward this, you know, the covenant based on the Ten Commandments, which you break regularly. You're worshiping altars at Baal, which is one of the gods of the Assyrians. And actually, as it started to get through on all that stuff, he's even going, God gave you the promised land. He brought you here. He fed you in the desert. He brought you out of slavery. You're now in this place because God brought you here. You're only alive and not wiped out because he's protected you. And now you have a relatively comfortable existence in a sense, full of good things because God brought you here and has protected you. And even in that circumstance, they find themselves looking to other nations for insurance, worshiping other gods to put their cards in all sorts of different places, right? I could put all of my cards in this God's box, or I could put one here, one here, one here, and one here, and surely one of them will be right. And God's going, no, man, you're all in with me or you're not. Like, pick one. I want my people to be all in, for me to be what they depend on. And actually, when he talks about this, it's funny because how the, how the Israelites seem to work at the time is that they will go about the regular week, breaking regular laws, worshiping other gods, putting faith in other people, not giving God all that he's due, and then they'll turn up on whatever day it was they worshiped and turn up and make their offerings. And that that was meant to be okay. That's meant to be fine, right? We've done our thing for this God. And Hosea's gone, man, you think that's fine? That's not fine. Like, Sunday Christianity is not this faith. That's not what it's about. We don't turn up and just present our best to God and then get on with our life as if he doesn't exist. That's not fine. And the hypocrisy of that, the dualistic of that, the dualistic nature, that it just wasn't okay. And Hosea's saying, no, we need to persevere with the God that we serve in the way that that God perseveres with us. See, the fascinating thing is that the image that God uses is of the rebellious son. It's actually not dissimilar to the viewpoint of the prodigal son in terms of story. That there's Israel is like God's son who is just always looking for better things, spending his resource, putting income in other places, not relying on him, not looking for him. 
But God's going, and I'm so angry. And you can hear it in the passage where God's like, I'm angry because this is not fair, and it's ridiculous, and after all I've done for them. But then at the same time, it switches, and you can just see the extreme and emotion in God in the passage where he's like, it's just so bad. But then he's like, but I love my people so much. I can't just turn my back. It would be so easy just to go, do you know what? You don't want me. That's fine. But I love them far too much to let them do that to themselves, and I love them far too much for me to allow that to happen. So God's in that place where he's going, I love you so much stop it. Come home. There's a better life. And just that prophetic image at the start is just played forward. And then Hosea starts to warn the people for the rest of the book, really. It's warnings to say, do you know what? There are consequences to actions. Isn't it funny? I think a lot of the time we assume that God's the one who brings consequences or makes everything bad, but God's like, do you know what? If I'm not the one protecting you, then what's going to happen? And the people get overtaken by the Assyrian Empire and all the suffering that comes with that. If I'm not the one looking after you, then who is? And you can just see the separation as people choose not to persevere with God, but look for security elsewhere. And it's not that God abandons them, but there are consequences to behavior. And actually, Hosea starts to warn, if you guys don't choose to stick with God, then these are the things that might happen. And then he starts to reflect back on the history of Israel, and he's like, guys, what is with the constant unfaithfulness? Looks back, he's like, even one of the forefathers of the faith. Even when you start to look at Jacob and all of his lying and all his deceitfulness. And then he goes, and then you go in the wilderness, and God looks out from you and brings you from, from slavery. And when you're in the wilderness, you start complaining about the manna and wanting to go back. And then Moses goes up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And when he's up there, he comes down and you're worshiping altars of Baal. And you built golden calves and all this kind of thing. And God's like, every turn where I'm going, come and be with me. You guys are turning away and Hosea's going, it's just a repeating story. It's the history. Why do we constantly do this? Why can we not just be faithful to God? And yet, underpinning the whole thing is this future hope for restoration, that the messianic king's coming. Underpinning this whole thing is the fact that God's love for his people is far too great to leave them hanging. Underpinning this whole thing is that God's going, no matter how many times you're unfaithful in this prophetic image, I'll take you home. Now, it doesn't mean that our turning away doesn't hurt, but he will always take us back because his grace is much bigger than his wrath. What a God we serve. And it's just this wonderful, wonderful story as it starts to come through. And when it comes towards the finish, and it's one of, my, one of the parts about this, this book that's just so wonderful, is that when it starts to reach the finish and we find out that God's compassion and His love and grace are so great that He can't turn back on His rebellious son. He can't turn away, that He always wants renewal. We end up with this wonderful passage at the end where Hosea starts to compare a renewed, a repented, a reconciled Israel to this amazing tree, to this amazing tree. And it's this passage, if you want to read it with me. It says, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. Just this beautiful tree, and it continues. It says, My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes 
from me. And it's just God calling out, going, come to me. I will look after you. I am the one who is going to make sure that your fruit comes. I am the one who's going to protect you. I'm going to answer your prayers and care for you. You don't need to go to those other gods, to those other countries, to those other insurances, to those other kings. I have your back. That hasn't changed. It's not going to change. And my love is greater than anything else you're going to encounter. See, the funny thing is, in recent weeks, as Mark's been talking, we've looked at this idea of a grain harvest and fruit harvest, right? And you can see the references to fruit trees in there. You can see the references to fruit trees. It's God that brings out fruit year on year as he transfers and repented and reconciled Israel to people who honor him. And this idea of persevere when it's tough. How does God develop our character? It says we persevere. How do we grow in faith to become more like him? It says we learn what it is that he is trustworthy. And how do you learn that anybody's trustworthy? You trust them. It's one of the, I I always feel like it's the biggest cop-out phrase in the world, isn't it? If you want to learn that someone's trustworthy, trust them. If you want to find out that God's good enough for your finances, trust them with them. If you want to find out that God's good enough for your relationships, trust them. If you want to find out that God's got your job, trust them. If you want to find out that in any circumstance God's good enough, you're not going to know if you bail. You're never going to know if you bail. God is the one who brings you to that point that as we trust, we see him come through. Perseverance and faith is at the core. Run with endurance the race set before you. Don't give up. In perseverance, we discover God is good. In perseverance, we discover God's got our back. And in perseverance, we discover that his grace, his compassion, and his kindness is better than we ever give him credit for. And that he's not bailed on us because of mistakes we've made. That his love is enough. But we can only find that as we persevere in faith. If you give up early, you never see the light. Do you know, this fruit tree harvest is something that's big. That is really easy to go for the easy option, but fruit trees take a long time to grow. My wife has got into gardening in recent history. Um, Not something I ever thought I would say, but I'm getting quite into gardening. I don't know, saying about midlife crisis earlier, there's maybe truth to it. But I think that for me, when it comes to gardening, fruit trees have been interesting. We had to learn a lot. We planted quite a few in our garden. And actually, we've had to learn a lot in terms of what you cut, what you don't cut, what space you give them, how you develop them year on year. It's quite a lot of work, actually. I was surprised. I thought, plant the tree, life is good. It doesn't work that way. And actually, one of the things that's been fascinating is as you prune, as you allow it to grow, we've had more fruit every year. And I think for me, such a story of how our faith life works, that as we allow God to prune our character, as we allow him to chip bits off that aren't okay, as we allow him to deal with the things in our life that would make us look to other places for security, if we allow him to bring trust in areas where we don't currently trust him, it's like he just snips off the vines that don't bear fruit in our lives, and then next year we're more fruitful than we were this. Do you know, in the same way that a repentant Israel is like a tree that all of this stuff grows from, I think individually our lives work the same way. That as we're repentant before God, as we acknowledge Jesus as who he is, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, we become that fruit tree harvest in our own lives. We become people who year on year bear fruit in season as God works in our lives and develops us. And this story of Hosea is fantastic because there are so many moments in it where it seems in a sense that God's going, do you know what? (laughs) You guys have almost gone this far. Like, are you serious? But then it always comes back to, but I'm not giving up on you. I'm not. 
that the messianic king is coming. There's a future where repentance is going to bring this glorious tree to fruition in your life and where this fruit tree harvest can really come. And you know what finishes with this wonderful passage at the end of chapter 14 where after they've gone into detail of what that tree looks like, it comes up with this, and this is the final verse. And it's the writer of Hosea who's put all his works together says this, let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. Let me read it one more time. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. Do you know, it's persistence in those paths where we really find God's blessing. It's persistence in those paths where we see him come through. And you know, it's easy to harp back, but with that interview with Kev, as he's persisted, and him and Kay as a couple have persisted in doing the things that they felt God was calling them to do. I don't know if any of you guys have ever had engagements with social work in the past, and I'm not down-talking them on their job, but engaging with fostering or adoption or anything like that is hard work. It is hard work. You know, we've been there in fostering in the past, and I couldn't believe the amount of work that was involved in the process. And persistence and perseverance in that stuff is so, so essential. But when you come out the other side, you get to this glorious place of blessing. And Kevin Kay have experienced that in their life. And actually, the funny thing is that even when you hit the blessing, it doesn't mean it's easy. I love Kev's honesty in saying, actually, now that we've hit the blessed place, life is tough. You know, it's good, but it's tough. And it's so easy when we look at Scripture and when we look at the Bible to jump on the verses that we like and to pull out snippets. But it's funny, that Hosea 2.15 passage, I'll return her vineyards to her, sounds awesome, right? And I'll transform her into a gateway of hope. It just sounds brilliant, but it leaves out in the middle bit of I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And actually for so many of us, it's that valley of trouble that needs to transform. It's that journey that we're going on. How many people love Psalm 23? But once again, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. But where are you walking? It's in the valley of the shadow of death. That actually, as we go through life, we experience these times, and it's in persistence and perseverance in these times that we experience God's grace. How will you know God's with you in the valley of the shadow of death if you run out of it the second you realize where you are? How does God transform the valley of trouble into the gateway of hope if we don't maintain there long enough for him to do it? Perseverance is what grows character. It's what grows resilience. It's what grows faith. It's what grows hope. It's what grows joy because we encounter what it is to make it, to get there, and to keep going. Guys, it's so important. It's so important. And I don't want to downplay the struggles that we go through. I don't want to downplay that at all because they're hard. They are very, very hard. But there is hope on the other side. And God is good. And no matter where you've been, his compassion is bigger than you think. And he will not leave you there. He will not leave you there. I want to finish this morning with a prayer. And it's a prayer I am, I actually sign up to something called uh, the Henri Nouwen Society, Alan Eaglesham put me onto it. Um, and it's something where he sends out, I say he, he has passed away, but the society send out an email that's a reflection pretty much every day. 
Um, it's free to sign up for, just Google it, and they send out emails. I absolutely love it. It's one of the few reflective things like this I've ever signed up to that I regularly use. I think it's brilliant. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Henri now in society. But there was a prayer that came out about a month ago on this that has stuck with me ever since. And it's on the kind of topic we've been talking about this morning. So I just want to pray it to finish our time. Um, and then we'll move back into worship. But let me pray this for us. It says this. Oh Lord, life passes by swiftly. Events that a few years ago kept me totally preoccupied have now become vague memories. Conflicts that a few months ago seemed so crucial in my life now seem futile and hardly worth the energy. Inner turmoil that robbed me of my sleep only a few weeks ago has now become a strange emotion of the past. Books that filled me with amazement a few days ago now don't seem as important. And thoughts that kept my mind captive only a few hours ago have now lost their power and have been replaced by others. God, why am I continuously trapped in this sense of urgency and emergency? Why do I not see that you are eternal, that your kingdom lasts forever, and that for you a thousand years are like one day? O oh Lord, let me enter into your presence and there taste the eternal, timeless, everlasting love with which you invite me to let go of my time-bound anxieties, fears, preoccupations, and worries. Lord, teach me your ways and give me the courage to persevere in them. Amen.